0: And we're back with our 14th episode and guys we have a very special guest today it's brother adrian sanford welcome brother adrian
1: hey man glad to be here appreciate you asking me to be on
0: yes sir we're happy to have you guys uh this sunday is uh pastor appreciation month i mean pastor appreciation and uh we're gonna have another episode coming out very soon on sunday talking about how much the people of the church appreciate their pastor. So look out for that one coming out. But anyways, guys, we're just going to dive right into the questioning today. Uh, Thank you, Brother Sanford, for coming in again. So we're just going to dive right into the questions. Uh, What was your journey like to become the man you are today?
1: Uh, Well, allow me to uh, preface my statements by saying this first. I am nowhere near a... uh, finished product by any means. I feel like I'm still on a journey trying to grow and become a better day. Uh, James chapter one speaks of being perfect and entire wanting nothing. The word perfect there means growth, mental and moral character or becoming a complete man full of age. Uh, The word entire means again, complete in every part. Perfectly sound. And I believe that should be the goal for everybody uh, to grow mentally, morally, uh, to become a complete individual. And uh, while I'm not there yet, uh, I can see growth my life throughout the years. Uh, it's been said that if you're the same person today that you were 10 years ago, you've wasted 10 years. Mm-hmm. So While I'm not where I want to be, I've definitely have grown through the years. Uh, So my journey uh, that's led me to where I am today, I grew up a pastor's kid. And then my dad resigned when I was 10 and went back on the evangelistic field. And so because of this, I was exposed to church and a variety of ministries at a very young age. Uh, But two things that really stand out to me that helped me grow and mature uh, to where I am today is, number one, I fell in love with preaching. Mm. I believe, you know, whatever I am today, whoever I am today, is based on the fact that I fell in love with preaching. I am a product of preaching, and it's still something that I love to this day. In fact, there's not a day that goes by where I don't listen to some form of preaching or teaching. Uh, The last few years, I've really fallen in love with teaching. Men that, uh, you know, just who are able to expound on God's word at a slow, meticulous level. Um, But that's that's probably number one, Mm -hmm. uh, the love of preaching. But if there's a second thing uh, that's helped me grow to where I am today is um, I was able to go to youth camps, NYC's conferences, etc and being in those atmospheres, in those environments began to mold me and shape me but uh, we all know that you're not consistently in those atmospheres Mm -hmm. every week Yes, you know come around three or four times a year and while they're great, you're not in that atmosphere every day and so because of that I learned the value of having the right influences in my life. Methuselah had a godly father named Enoch. Enoch was one of two men who never experienced death. And the Bible says this about Enoch. He walked with God and he was not for God took him. So Methuselah had possibly the greatest example in his life of how to live for God and how to please God. And just like Methuselah had Enix in his life, uh, we all have Enix in our life.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: of course, we have parents, uh, moms and dads who teach us right and wrong and do their best to lead us and guide us and take us to church. But outside of that, um, we all have Enix, people who are faithful, dependable, trustworthy, committed, Um uh, just like they're in your home church. Um, I grew up in a home church and I learned the value of pattering my life after men and women who knew what it was like to go through storms and still make it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I found the value at a young age, as a teenager, of finding those people, those enics, and pattering my life after them.
2: Yes. Wow.
1: So by walking their lives mold me and shape me and I still have phoenix in my life today that you know I may never meet them I may never speak to them or shake their hand but just watching their life and how they live for God still helps mold and shape me
0: wow that's amazing that's a good uh answer to that question I love how you didn't let you said that you're not finished because we're no one's ever truly finished until the day of the judgment, no one's truly finished growing until the day they officially go home. <clears throat> so I like that answer. And moving on to the next question: How did you know you were called to be an evangelist?
1: Well, I I felt the call to preach when I was 12 years old. Uh, the Lord filled me with the Holy Ghost at 10, and at 12 years old, I, I could take you to my parents' house right now into my old bedroom and I know the exact place that I was at when I felt the call to preach. And, um, I really got serious about it my senior year of high school. And, you know, through those next few years, um, I was privileged to preach youth services, youth revivals, um, revivals for churches. Uh, my dad being an evangelist, uh, You know, people would hear that, you know, his son's a young preacher. And so they would bring me in. And uh, I was privileged to be able to uh, preach, you know, a fairly good bit. But at the same time, I worked a full-time job. I worked at Ashley Furniture for six years. And while I loved my job and while God blessed me with that job and gave me favor there, um, I knew God had more for me. Mm -hmm. In fact, I remember the last year that I worked there, uh, from 2013 going into 2014, I was absolutely miserable. Not miserable because I hated my job, Mm -hmm. uh, again, I loved my job, I didn't dread going in, Um, I I had a lot of friends that worked there, but I knew God had more for me. Mm. Oh, through those six years working there, God has started opening up, opening up more doors. And, um, it was, it was tough that last year, uh, because I had the, I had the security of a job. I had the security of a paycheck. You know, I was married with two kids, but I knew that God was calling me to do more. And I remember coming home, uh, one Friday, probably, in January or February of 2014. And uh, as soon as I walked in the door and sat down on the couch, my wife looked at me and she simply said, it's time. And, you know, the next several weeks, I put in my two weeks notice and quit my job in March of 2014. And, you know, here I am nine and a half years later.
0: Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so you said you had a secure job and you came home one day and your wife just said it's time. And you already knew what that meant. You were like that's that's amazing. Just,
1: when got- your wife looks at you and you know that she's on board, you know, it's it's time to do something, you know. And you know, if it weren't for her pushing me to do that, you know, I don't know how much longer I would have just kept working, you know. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I I think God, you know, let her just say those two simple words to kind
0: of push me to do what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. And not just to leave a job, uh, a good-paying job, but a job that you actually liked and wanted, a job that you felt good at.
1: Yeah, my, my supervisor had come to me, I don't know, six months earlier. And I was lead man, we we ran three shifts in the warehouse, uh, but he came to me six months earlier before I left and said within, you know, two to three years, I would be running the entire warehouse, Wow. you know, more money, more benefits. Um, but I still knew I wouldn't be happy. Mm-hmm. So, so, I, I took the step and here we are.
0: Wow. What do you? What is your advice to young ministers that feel that call and they're not really sure if they should do it because they have a job that they like or that a well-paying job that they want?
1: Right. I, I would say this. Um, if you feel that call, you know, you've still got to be calculated and smart in your decisions. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't advise anybody to just quit their job you know, cold turkey and then just yeah. hit the road, you know. Mm-hmm. Um what I've told younger guys through the years is, you know, start preaching out, um, kind of get your name in circulation, make contacts, but at the same time keep your job as long as you can. Not because, you know, you're you don't believe God's gonna take care of you. Mm-hmm. I think God gives us wisdom. Yes. You know, and that was kind of the approach that I took. And I talked to my dad a lot because he had evangelized and he has evangelized over, I don't know, 35 years. And, you know, I had two small children at the time. And, uh, but through the years I had made contacts with people. Um, I had made connections. And when I made that final jump, I was able to let them know, you know, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And, you know, we went from there. And so, you know, those doors led to more doors, but my advice would be, you know, be calculated, be smart, um, have a lot of debt, don't go into much debt, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just be smart, calculated and a good steward with your money.
0: Yes. Well, that, uh, leads us into our next question. How do young ministers grow their ministry?
1: Okay, this is another question that I've been asked um, a few times through the years, and my answer is always um, simple and straightforward. Mm -hmm. How do I grow in ministry? Just get involved. Mm. Um, The word ministry in the Old Testament means service or work of any kind, and it was always in context of service or work you know in the tabernacle in the temple ministry doesn't just mean preaching
0: yes it
1: it means service it means work um if you want to grow in ministry the best thing to do is find a need in your church and serve in that need Hmm. You know, a lot of times people sit around waiting and say, well, I'm going to wait for God to do this. I'm going to wait for God to do that. But, you know, if that's their mentality, they're probably going to be waiting a while. Mm. You know, when Elijah cast his mantle on Elisha, Elisha was not sitting at home waiting for that mantle to come. He was on the yoke of oxen, the Bible says, working. He was in the middle of service. He was doing something. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I don't think, in fact, I know that ministry is not just going to fall on the lap of somebody who's, you know, lazy or entitled or, you know, feels like they're owed something. Yes. Um, Ministry is service. Ministry is working at your local church, finding a need at your local church and just getting your hands dirty and doing
0: it. Mm-hmm. I've always believed that if you submerge yourself in ministry, uh, growth will come naturally. Wow. and, and always, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. It's fine.
1: Well, it, it's always been said that, you know, experience is the best teacher. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Just find something that needs to be done and do it. You know? Um, Roy Bennett, a writer, made a statement one time that has kind of stuck with me. He said, what you stay focused on will grow. Mm-hmm. So, if you got your priorities right and you're serving in ministry, whether that's picking up trash, you know, cleaning bathrooms, and the list goes on and on, mm-hmm. or, you know, all the way up to singing on the stage, and preaching, and, you know, whatever you focus yourself on and your time on, you'll grow. Yes, just Just get involved. Just find a need and...
0: Get involved. Yes. And we've asked this question to, I've asked this question to multiple men of God over the few months that we've been doing this podcast. And they might change their answer up a little bit, but it all comes back to you need to serve. It all comes back to you just need to serve under your pastor. You need to, uh, like you said, clean the bathrooms, pick up trash, sing, do whatever they want you to do every man of God's answer always comes back to serve. And I thought that was really cool to point out. Moving on to the next question. What are some things that young ministers need to look out for on a day-to-day life?
1: Some things that I have, I guess, kind of noticed through the last few years is, uh, One major thing to kind of guard yourself from if you're a young minister with aspirations to uh, be in ministry is avoid social media pitfalls. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Social media is a highlight reel. Mm -hmm. You Good. You never see the bad. And you know, if, if young men are not careful, they can make the mistake of looking at or keeping up with somebody else's ministry through social media and become envious or covetous of that ministry. You know, you can follow them and see all the places they're preaching, see all the people who are getting baptized, all the people who are getting the Holy ghost miracles and you can see the results. And if you're not careful, you can begin to measure your ministry up next to wow. their ministry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Paul actually advised against this when he wrote to the Corinthian church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He said, we, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Uh, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise not wise to measure your ministry up next to somebody else's because you weren't given their ministry. Mm-hmm. And at the time they were not given your ministry.
2: Yeah.
1: Everybody has been allotted their own ministry. And in fact, that's why the Bible says every joint supply of, you know, and the Bible goes on to say that if the ear smells or if the nose hears, you know, it's out of balance. Mm-hmm. A body has to function like a body and you know if you're a young minister and you're seeing all these other ministries that God has elevated and you're not there yet you know you're not where you want to be it's easy to measure yourself next to them and and Paul said that's not wise because every man has been given their own ministry Mm -hmm. and and the second quick thing is uh, I guess another pitfall that, that young men need to look out for is uh, the, te- the temptation to only pray and study when you're going to preach.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I've known a lot of guys that had the aspiration to preach, wanted to travel, wanted to be an evangelist, but they weren't very faithful in the small things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whether you're preaching or not, you've got to have a consistent prayer life every day. Yes. Whether you're preaching or not, you've got to read the Bible. You've got to study the Bible. You've got to fast. And, you know, God knew that he could trust David to lead a nation because David first led his father's sheep. God could trust David with an entire nation simply because Jesse trusted David with his sheep. Wow. Now, you know, being a shepherd wasn't glamorous. It wasn't something you grew up wanting to be in those days. Mm Mm-hmm fact he was probably the lowest rung on the ladder you know jewish kids didn't go to school saying i want to be a shepherd when i grow up but because david took that and showed that responsibility and he was faithful and dependable and nobody else was watching when it was time for samuel to anoint the next king seven brothers passed by mm-hmm. all. yes here comes David, who's on the backside of a field somewhere, out of the spotlight, being faithful. Um, just just understanding the fact that faithfulness goes a long way in the kingdom of God. In fact, mm-hmm. heaven is going to be reserved for those who were faithful. The Lord going to look at us one day and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And if heaven is reserved for people who are faithful one day in the future, I think God gives a little bit of heaven to people now on earth who are faithful now. Mm -hmm. And being faithful in prayer, being faithful in reading your Bible, being disciplined, it goes a long way in the kingdom of God. And uh, we need to learn how to walk before we try to learn how to run and fly.
2: Yes, right.
1: Uh, The walls of Jericho only fell because the six days of walking preceded the seventh day of shouting. Wow. And the best thing I can tell young men who want to be in ministry is don't measure your ministry next to somebody else's. You've been given your own ministry. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And avoid the temptation to only pray and study when you're scheduled to preach somewhere. (laughs) areas every day even when nobody else is watching because the Bible says God sees those things in secret.
0: Mm -hmm. And And I feel like that's a big struggle, not in just our generation, but many of generations that have come before us that we feel like, uh, you only should study whenever you're preaching or you should only study to get a sermon. What are your thoughts on that kind of, uh, uh, thinking,
1: you know, I may be a little bit different on that you know if you're a preacher your ministry is one of the parts of your ministry is to preach you know Mm -hmm. and i think there's times when you go in that bible and you say okay lord i need a a sermon Mm -hmm. but again that is coupled with the consistent daily reading and studying of that word and you know if you only open your bible to get a sermon you're out of balance you know but if you're being faithful every day reading your bible studying you know to show yourself approved i believe there can be times that you say okay god i've got this coming up i need you to speak to me and he will if if, and it's a big if if you're consistent
0: every other day Mm -hmm. wow Moving on to the next question, how do you deal with uh, anger and pride as a man yourself?
1: I believe that anger and pride are probably two of the greatest things men deal with. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think anger is one of the two greatest battles men fight when we begin to talk about holiness we always go to first timothy 2 and 9 in like manner also women adorn themselves in modest apparel shamefacedness sobriety not with broided hair gold pearls costly array but if you look at the start of that verse the beginning of that verse it says in like manner also so that tells me that in order to understand how women should do their part in holiness, we've got to back up to verse eight to find out what that in like manner also means. Mm -hmm. Because before God ever deals with the women, God deals with the men in verse number eight. Paul says I would or will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Mm -hmm. Now verse number nine deals with, women and their holiness and most of the times the holiness issue for women is outwardly but in the same regard most of the times for men their holiness issues are inwardly Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know you know me and you can walk down the street and the way we dress really doesn't stand out to people
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know uh, people can see me in a suit and a tie in a hotel, and they don't think for once I'm a preacher because that's just common clothing. Mm-hmm. If you're in the, there's nothing that I wear stands out, but our women do. Mm-hmm. It depends outwardly, but Paul says most of the time uh, the holiness issue for men is inwardly, and Paul says these two things. He says I want you to pray everywhere, men, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubt i'm a firm believer that the two greatest battles men fight are wrath or anger and doubt and so we can also quote psalm four and four when the bible says be angry and sin not ephesians chapter four and verse 26 reiterates this when it says be angry and sin not anger itself is not sin Mm
2: -hmm.
1: jesus became angry in Mark chapter three, when the Bible says, and when he speaking of Jesus had looked round about on them with anger, Jesus looked at these people and he was angry, Mm -hmm. being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. So anger in itself is not sin, but what accommodates that anger is usually the problem. Mm -hmm. How you react or how I react when we get angry or mad determines whether or not that anger turns into sin or not. That's why the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Mm-hmm. When you're angry or when you feel like you get mad or because we're all human, mm-hmm. you know, people are going to do things that rub you the wrong way. People are going to say things that kind of make you upset mm-hmm. because we're human, we all have emotion. Yes anger in itself is not sin it's how i handle that anger determines whether or not it becomes sin or not so i've learned the best thing to do when you're angry or mad about whatever is most of the time the best thing to do or say is nothing at all Mm. you know proverbs says a lot about speaking when you're upset or mad it says a soft answer turns away wrath Uh, A man that keepeth his mouth, keepeth his life. And so, you know, the best thing to do is, and sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, is not retaliate and say anything. Mm -hmm. And and dealing with pride, pride becomes dangerous because pride is all about yourself. Mm -hmm. It's all about me, 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 you know, what I want. But the Bible says pride is an abomination to God. It's one of the seven things he hates, actually, the book of Proverbs says. And it was pride that created the devil. The prophet tells us that pride enters Lucifer and it becomes all about him. He says, I will ascend. I will lift up my throne. It was I, I, I. It was all about him. Pride turned Lucifer, who was the son of morning, into Satan, who became the father of night and paul looking at this in first timothy he says don't be a novice lest being lifted up with pride you fall into the condemnation of the devil mm-hmm. paul says if you become lifted up with pride you're heading down the same path the devil had uh went down because pride turned the highest of angels into the lowest of devils
2: mm-hmm. that's why the bible says pride goeth before destruction the holy spirit
1: before a fall when it comes all about you, when it comes all about myself,
0: I'm in a dangerous place. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, because the Bible clearly tells us if we humble ourselves, God will exalt us. Yes. But if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. Mm-hmm. So God's job, he in return is going to do it only he can do if I lift myself up. He's only left one option. He's got to bring me down. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But if we we stay in a place of dependency on him and realize it's not about what we can do. In fact, we are insufficient by ourselves. We're fully dependent on him. uh, That's the best way to handle pride. Mm -hmm. To admit, I can't do this by myself.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. In fact, I'll say this and I'll be done. God gave the same judgment to Nineveh mm-hmm. that he gave to Sodom and Gomorrah. Wow. God told it, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And he gives the same judgment to Nineveh. But Nineveh was spared while Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. What was the difference? God gave the same judgment to he says, I'm going to destroy both cities, but he spares one and destroys the other. hmm So, the difference was, you know, exactly what we're talking about, pride. hmm Sodom didn't get rid of their pride. Their bellies were full. They had no lack of bread. But Nineveh humbled themselves and called a fast, and that was the difference.
0: Wow. And... Also, the thing that you said about, um, uh, Lucifer, uh, how he was the son of morning, and then he became the king of the night, the, uh, prince of night or whatever. Uh, I feel like in this generation, stuff happens in the dark that we don't really talk about. Like you said, God will glorify the things in the, in the quiet places. Uh, when you're alone. In your room, I had a message not too long ago that I preached in chapel about the uh, Samaritan woman at the well, and I was just talking about uh, how how uh, in our darkest places at our house or at our home in our room, how that God will use us in those places before He'll ever use us on the stage or the platform or anything that you're doing in the house of God, and I felt like. That was a good answer to the question because I felt like in this generation, it's just difficult to do stuff by yourself whenever it's just you. If you're the only one praying, if you're the only one singing, if you're the only one lifting your hands, I feel like this generation is just stuck in that I'll do it if they do it. That's right. Moving on.
1: At some point, like you said, you've got to, uh, you've got to be the instigator, if I can use that word. Mm-hmm. You've, got, you've got one that's willing to be the first one to step out.
0: Yes. Wow. Moving on to the next question. How do you stop from uh, getting prideful at the beginning of a, uh, starting a ministry? Or how do you stop pride from coming in at the beginning of your ministry? While you're first starting to preach out, and you are go- You think you're doing good, you think God's moving everywhere, how do you stop pride from creeping in and saying, oh, it's me doing it, it's me doing
1: it? Right. Um, and this is going to be an answer that it may be comical, and the fact is it, it kind of is, but it's always helped me. hmm God one time used a donkey. Mm-hmm to get his point across to Balaam Mm -hmm. and, and while, you know, there's a lot of jokes that you can, you know, you know, use from that. Mm -hmm. I've always had the mindset that God can use anybody he wants to use. Mm -hmm. God can use anything that he wants to use to bring about his purpose. He used a donkey to get his message across. And so I've always <clears throat> looked at that. I've always kind of
2: told myself, God doesn't need Adrian Sanford. Mm-hmm.
1: Now I need him, but he doesn't need me. Mm-hmm. I'm God's gift to his church. I'm not God's gift to ministry. This thing was going a whole lot longer or it's been going a whole Uh, It's been going a long time before I ever arrived, and it's going to keep going long after I'm gone if God tarries. Mm -hmm. Uh, My ministry, now while it, you know, it can help people, and that's what we're in ministry for. uh, At the end of the day, my ministry isn't going to make or break what God does. Mm -hmm. And so my point is, God can use anything or anyone that he wants to use. And I, I remind myself of that quite often, you know, um, and and there's been many times in my life that I've prayed to have the mindset and the mentality and the spirit of John the Baptist, you know, John, the Baptist, Jesus himself said, there's not been a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. And that's amazing because John the Baptist isn't around long. There's not a lot to read about him. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, we know that he lives in the wilderness, and he eats locusts and honey, and he wears camel's hair, and he's kind of a weird guy. Mm. But really, his ministry only lasts a few months if you look at it. But yet, Jesus calls him the greatest. I believe the reason why Jesus called John the greatest is because John lived with the revelation that it's not about him, it's about God. John himself said, I must decrease So he might increase. And when we live with that mindset, when we live with that mentality, it's not about me. It's not about, you know, what I can do or how good I can say it. Now, at the same time, I don't want to preach and come across as, you know, not being prepared. I feel like you should prepare yourself the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's not about me and it's not about my delivery. It's not about, how well I can put a sermon. It's all about creating a pathway like John did for somebody to find him. And so I've tried to do my best to live with that mindset. It's not about me. I'm not the Christ. Mm -hmm. John said, I'm not the Christ, but there's somebody coming after me. Who's mightier than I. And I feel like in ministry, that's your job. That's why you're there. You're supposed to create a pathway make the crooked places straight be a voice crying in the wilderness do everything you can to make it easy for somebody to find him Mm -hmm. and so how do you deal with pride and ministry just remind yourself god used a donkey god used a donkey he can you know use anyone he can use whatever he wants
0: yeah i like how you said i am not the christ because not too long ago i was at a Let's Talk at Bethlehem, and Brother Nate Whitley, he spoke on that exact scripture and had that exact title, I Am Not the Christ. Right. I thought that was really cool, and that Let's Talk really opened up things for me because they had a panel on there that was that I was able to ask questions that really what got this whole thing started was right. me going to panels and asking them questions, like some of the questions I'm about to ask you.
1: Yeah. Right. And I think that's very needful. I'm glad that they brought Let's Talk back for that reason. I feel like it helps young men in ministry, mm-hmm. you know, to do what you just said you've done, to be able to ask questions, to get insight. I mean, we, we live now in a, in a generation where knowledge is everywhere, mm-hmm. you know. We want to take advantage of that and uh, i'm glad that they brought that that panel that format back of let's talk Mm
0: -hmm. and like you said you said knowledge is everywhere like i could click right now i could say hey siri how do i blah 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 blah?" and she'll give me a a word for word description on how to do it and Uh i think it's amazing that we get to i won't i don't want to say do that but we get to basically do that to the men of God and pick their brains about how to grow in ministry, these successful ministers, you, you would say, these ministers that have grown up or maybe not even grown up, ministers that are just powerful in God and ask them questions about how to grow your ministry, how to even take notes. I heard there was someone who asked, how do you take notes? How do you do this? How do you study? What is your study habits? And right. just to pick their brains about that is amazing.
1: I love yeah, that. It's definitely needed. And I hope going forward they continue to do that mm-hmm. consistently.
0: Yes. Moving on to the next question. What is your advice to someone who, is, uh, who feels like they're called to be an evangelist?
1: Uh, this is probably one, and when I read the question, um, it was a question that I'm glad you asked because it is one that I've been asked many times, but it's also pretty close to me as well. Um, my my response, my answer would be that if you're really called, and it's easier said than done because I was there at one time, But if you're really called, trust God's timing. Mm -hmm. Because if you're really called, it's going going to happen. Now, it may not happen when we want it to happen. Uh, And maybe the reason why it doesn't happen when we want it to happen is because God knows we're not ready. Mm. But at the same time, the gift will make room for itself. I'm a firm believer that God will prepare you before he sends you.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And, and I've, I've given this answer a few times in podcasts, interviews that I've done, um, in regards relation to this very question. Mark opens up his gospel by telling us that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan river. Now, He's being baptized because all righteousness must be fulfilled. But at the same time, he's being baptized because he's entering the priesthood. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: You know, the common thought was, if you're going to be a priest, you had to be around 30 years old. And, And Jesus was probably around this age, about this time. And so not only is he fulfilling all righteousness, but he's entering the priesthood because he cannot become our high priest if he doesn't follow the pattern that he said in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water. Heaven's open. The Bible says the spirit descends like a dove.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, the Holy Ghost did not come down as a literal actual dove, but the terminology says it came down like a dove. It's a simile in the English language. The Holy Ghost came down in a peaceful, manner Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but i want you to get this because while jesus has now entered ministry the priesthood the holy ghost has fallen on him the very next verse says that the spirit the same spirit that just descended on him now drives him into the wilderness same spirit that has fallen on him now forces him into a wilderness for 40 days we understand during those 40 days, he's tempted by the devil three times. And it's not an accident that all of this took place in the wilderness.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know anything about the wilderness, it is symbolic of a place of testing. Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness to prove themselves. It was a test. And so Jesus himself has a test. He is sent into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost. And three times the devil looks at him and asks the question, if thou be the son of God, or if you are who you say you are, prove it to me. So Jesus is put in the wilderness. He's put in a test before he begins his ministry or at the beginning of his ministry. And we understand that he passes the test because after 40 days, he leaves the wilderness. But Mark says something very interesting. Mark says that Jesus went into the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. Because again, after he's baptized the Holy Ghost, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. He goes into that wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. But Mark says when he comes out of the wilderness, he comes out in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I believe... That how we handle our personal wilderness, how we handle our personal test that God gives every man or woman that's called will determine whether or not we just have the Holy Ghost or we walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Mm. I know a lot of people that have the Holy Ghost and thank God for it. It's part of the plan of salvation. Without the spirit of God, you're none of his. Um, the Bible says that that same spirit that rose Christ from the dead dwell in you It's going to quicken your mortal bodies. Point is, you got to have the Holy Ghost to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times people just stop at having the Holy Ghost. When there's so much more that God wants us to have, don't just be satisfied having the Holy Ghost. But get to a point where you walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. Wow. And that, Well, if you handle your wilderness properly and to round out the question what advice would i give young people my advice would be what i wish i knew you know 17 years ago don't hate your personal wilderness god puts you in
2: Mm.
1: when i worked at ashley those six years that was my wilderness i believe in those six years when i was miserable at times i was frustrated at times when i felt like i was wasting valuable time because i thought i was supposed to be traveling then the whole time god was using those six years to get me ready for 2014
2: when i would go full time Mm
1: -hmm. and hindsight being 2020 i now look back at those six years in that factory and i appreciate those six years because i believe it was god's way of getting me ready the time for me to start and begin my full-time ministry so to, to give you a short-winded answer after I've given you a long-winded answer is don't hate the process trust God's timing when it's time when you handle your place of testing correctly God's gonna elevate you and God will put you where he wants you to be yes
0: and uh, to add on to that a little bit, I was listening to a podcast. I know I probably say this every podcast, but brother uh, Herring, I think it was, I think it was brother Herring, or was it uh, brother Caleb? I think it was brother Caleb Herring that said, uh, "We're in a microwave generation. They want to hurry up. They want to hurry up, get their calling, go preach. Hurry up, go preach. They want to. They want all the benefits of preaching." like all the they want all the fame if I could say that all that they want all the people to know their name they want uh, other people to say oh man it was a great message without going through the pain and suffering that it takes and to add on to that uh, I was listening to another podcast I listened to a lot of podcasts and this man he was with another powerful man of God I can't remember his name but This man comes up to their house. They've never met this man before. And this man's like, I want your calling. They've never met this man before. He's like, I want your calling. And like they argue about it for a minute. He's like, I'm not giving you my calling. And then they go into this and then he's like, fine, you want my calling? I'll give it. He said, I hope you lose all. He said, I want you to lose all your friends. I want your friends to curse you. I want your friends to hate you. I want you to have money problems. Cause that's what preaching is. It's all those things put together. It's, it's having money problems. It's having money, uh, benefits. It's having everything. It's taking the good with the bad, and I feel like this generation they just want the good without going through the struggle that God wants you to go through.
1: That goes to a statement that I heard Jeff Arnold made, you know, years ago. It 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 falls along the lines of what you just said um a man come up to him and said i want your ministry i want your anointing and Jeff Arnold said you can't have my anointing if you're not willing to fight my devils you know people want anointing without adversity
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but they usually walk hand in hand how you handle your adversity will determine what level of anointing you walk in And it goes back to, I think it was Elijah, the Bible says that, you know, he's prophesied that there's going to be no rain Mm -hmm. and he's given this great prophecy. There's going to be no rain. And then the Bible says that he goes to a city called Zarephath. Now Zarephath is an interesting city because it literally means a smelting place. It's where they would melt down the metals, the blacksmith would, and they would extract uh, all the valuable things from that smelting process. Mm -hmm. And that was symbolic of of Elijah's life at that time. You know, God was about to use him to, to prophesy rains coming back. There's a cloud the size of a man's hand, but before all that happened, there's a process, Elijah, that I got to put you through. I got to put you in a smelting place. I've got to put you in Zarephath. I've got to put you in a place where I can mold you and shape you to where you can be ready for that time of ministry that I've got planned for you in the future. Wow. And it goes back to what we've been talking about. You know, it goes back to that point. A hey, my generation, we want it to happen now. You know, we want it. We want to snap our fingers and be the name on the youth camp or the name on the conference and mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that, but chances are you've gotta go through a proving process. If Jesus did, we're probably gonna to have to.
0: Yeah. And I'll say this and we'll move on to the next question. Uh there was another saying that I that I love to say in this podcast that people could probably quote if they listen to this podcast. Brother uh I forgot his name, but I think it was Brother Caleb Herring again he said uh we like to run to the pulpit but walk to the prayer room we like to we like to go out and preach but we don't want to go over there no the prayer rooms for people that are sinning and doing that i do no wrong i just i do i do everything right i've never i've never sinned and they're over there playing the role i guess if you could say that going through the motions but they they never pick up their bible They never pray. They never go to seek God's face for something. They always go straight to the pulpit any chance they get. They don't want to go to the prayer room. God forbid someone tells them to go to the prayer room. (laughs) They'll start a war with you. But I feel like in this generation that we always just want, like you said, microwave generation, we always just want to run and hurry up and finish this, hurry up and get this over with and we want to go to the more shiny looking thing
1: yeah i'll and i'll add this quickly um it it goes back to the point you just made that where you know people want to bypass the prayer room and just go
2: preach Mm -hmm. um but i've learned that there's not many things more dangerous than a preacher who doesn't pray Mm -hmm.
1: you know there's so much going on when you're preaching people don't realize in the spirit world and you know if you're not prayerful if you're not consistently praying it's it's dangerous to try to preach without being prayerful first Mm -hmm. Um, because you'll operate in the flesh you'll preach through carnality um, you'll say things that do not edify the church at all so that that was a good point about wanting to bypass the prayer room and go straight to the platform.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, what was I about to say? There was a there was a, I think it was Brother uh, Nate Whitley who said this. He said, uh, no, it wasn't Brother Nate. I forgot who it was. They said, you want to know the reason why all these uh, pastors that deal with pornography and all that, you want to know why their messages aren't breaking through? It's because they have the anointing, but none of the fire. They have the anointing from God, but they don't have the fire behind their preaching. That's why they make great points, yes, but you will never see someone in the altar breaking through a prayer, breaking through uh their walls, breaking down chains, because they have the they have the anointing of God, yes, but they never have the fire. Right. Great point. Moving on to the next question. So, probably my favorite question we're going to have today. How do you develop a prayer life?
1: I'll end by saying this. Prayer is hard. Mm -hmm. Prayer is work. It takes work. Prayer is not something you wake up one day and just know how to do.
2: Um
1: in order to develop a prayer life, in order to develop a consistent daily prayer life, you have to be intentional and you have to be beyond motivated. You have to be committed and dedicated. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's going to be days when you pray and you don't, you don't feel angels and you don't feel goosebumps and you don't feel the presence of God like you want to. There's gonna be days when you pray and pray, and you've got to be intentional. Uh, I read a statistic some time ago that said the average Christian, and this is a broad statement, it's not apostolics, uh, it's it's under the umbrella of Christianity. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It said the average Christian prays about six minutes a day. And and that's not again apostolic statistics Mm -hmm. the entire spectrum of Christianity. And again, it goes back to my point that if you're gonna have a prayer life, you've got to be intentional. Uh in fact, the disciples one day come to Jesus and they had one request. Mm -hmm. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. They didn't ask God. They didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to preach. They didn't ask him to teach them how to be anointed. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they understood that if we get prayer right, the anointing is a byproduct. If we get prayer right, all of these other things will be added because everything that we are flows out of our prayer life. Mm-hmm. And I've often said that nobody is greater than their prayer life. Mm. Your ministry, my ministry will never be greater than my prayer life. And so for that reason, we've got to be intentional when we begin to develop our prayer life. Um, We can't be sporadic. A lot of times when we start praying, we're sporadic. We're scattered you know, we start praying about this and then before we realize it, we're praying about something that's so off the wall, um, because we're not focused and, and I can speak personally for myself. My mind, my mind is continually on about 10 things at once. It's just how my mind works. And when I start praying, I've got to be intentional. I've got to be focused. And, um, so for that reason, I pray the tabernacle prayer. Um, and there's a there's a few guys in the apostolic movement that are very big proponents of this. And uh, I always heard G.A. Mangan um, talk about it constantly before he passed away. Mm-hmm. He was a believer of the tabernacle prayer. And then, of course, Brother Anthony Mangan, his son, took up that. And he still preaches and teaches it and uh, the reason why i like praying the tabernacle prayer is because it keeps you focused you know that you're moving towards something and it helps you pray longer and um again i'm not saying everybody's got to pray the tabernacle prayer but in your approach to prayer you've got to be intentional Mm -hmm. you You've got to be focused. You've got to be diligent because, again, it takes hard work. Mm. There's some mornings you wake up and you don't want to pray. Yes. But there's some days you wake up and you're like, man, I, you know. But that's when commitment kicks in. Wow. And, and I believe that's why the Bible says to pray without ceasing, mm-hmm. meaning to always stay in a constant state of prayer. Never be too far from prayer. Wow. And uh, if you, if you're intentional, and you know you make up your mind, hey, I'm going to start praying 15 minutes a day. Eventually, it's going to become easy to pray 15 minutes, and then you can move to 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And you know, the Lord said, "Can you not watch with me for one hour?" You know, a lot of people think, "Man, praying an hour is tough," but that's when the intent comes in, the years of work. Because prayers work like anything else. Mm -hmm. But the more you do it, the easier it becomes.
0: Yes. And I'll add this. uh, My old youth pastor, Brother Jordan Foster, he preached the tabernacle almost every service. Every service we had. I was going to add this before you said that. Before you said something about the tabernacle, but he adds this every service. He used to. He would say, He would say, always look for an entrance, not an exit. He would say, always look to go deeper, not to come out. And that's what I've been praying for the last year and a half. God, make me look for a way in, not for a way out. Let me not to look at the clock. Let me to just pray until you say, all right, that's enough. Until you you give me the release of, all right, you've prayed. You've seeked my face. Here's what you should do. And um, I want to say this about what you said about uh, can you not pray for me for an hour, brother Covey? When we had him on, he he said he gave us a book that would say uh, that a man, a Christian, would uh, pray for the not like pray against the Nazis in the World War, and he prayed for twelve hours straight for eleven months, eleven months straight, twelve hours a day. And they say that's what helped the uh, union defeat the Nazis.
1: Right. Yeah. Never underestimate the power of prayer.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on to the last question. What you say? But it works. Yeah. Moving on to the last question. How do you manage your time? Because I know you have a busy schedule. You're preaching out. Right now, you're in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. I am, yes, sir. How do you manage your time and, like, manage a, having kids, having a wife, and still being able to find time to seek God's face?
1: Uh, this was something that I honestly struggled with the first few months of being full-time because I went from working six days a week about 60 to 65 hours a week to nothing, you know, mm-hmm. as far as the time clock. And so it took me a few months to learn how to manage my time. But as far as, you know, family, wife, kids, um, man, when I'm home, it's, it's wide open, you know. You know, you get up in the morning, your day starts about 6.15, 6.30, get kids up get them ready get them to school and you know when when me and Courtney get up in the morning um, again our day starts at 6 15 6 30 and it usually doesn't stop until depending on the time of the year it usually doesn't stop to 8 8 30 at night you know kids school school functions uh, sports if they play school activities and uh, it can get overwhelming at times but mm-hmm. I've learned you know when I'm home and it's wide open like that I've learned the best time for me uh, as far as reading or studying is late at night when it kind of quiets down mm-hmm. and uh but when I'm gone like I am right now I'm in I'm doing revival services down here in Naples Florida, um, it's a little less chaotic when I'm out preaching a few days at a time. Um, And so that really becomes the challenge when you're gone and you're kind of disconnected from some of those things. Um, But I've learned that, you know, don't sit around on your phone all day. Don't stay in your hotel room and watch TV all day. pastor wants to go out and have lunch, go out and have lunch with him. Stay busy. um, Stay active. Um, But I've also learned that when I'm going like him right now, it's really times and days that I can take advantage of it. And man, I can study, you know, without a lot of interruptions, I can uh, work on things, sermon thoughts that God has been dealing with about the last few weeks. And so i do my best to take advantage of days like this when i'm gone three or four days and uh and i do my best to be diligent and redeem the time that i have Mm -hmm. and um and like if i'm in an area like i am right now i preached yesterday morning um i'm preaching wednesday night that's how they do their revival services uh but i'm 25, 30 minutes away from a great apostolic church that have church on Tuesday night. And so when it's like that, man, I'll get ready and I'll go to church. Whether I'm preaching or not, I'll go and sit and hear somebody else preach. Mm -hmm. And so it's just all about managing your time and doing your best not to waste it on dumb stuff. that doesn't matter, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to stay on that, be as diligent as I can, you know.
0: Thank you, Brother Sanford. This has been amazing. Guys, that's all we have for today. Brother Sanford, I want to thank you again for coming on and answering these questions. But, guys, we'll be right back with the verse of the day.
1: salvation Uh, Moses saying this directly after they crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh and his army drowned in the waters Mm -hmm. Moses said the Lord which you notice the word Lord is in all caps that's the covenant name of God Jehovah Yahweh so he says Jehovah is my strength and song Jehovah has become my salvation and the reason why I love that verse is because the word salvation there literally translates to the word Jesus. Wow. So Moses is singing a prophetic song by saying, Jehovah is my strength and song, and he, Jehovah, has become my Jesus. Wow. It's probably one of the verses in the Bible.
0: That's amazing. We just learned that in our Bible, our Bible classes about the uh, all-caps LORD and the lowercase Lord, obviously. But I always, I thought that was really cool whenever uh, our youth pastor taught us that, about how you could, there's many names in the Bible for God, but the name of God is Lord, all caps. Right. I thought that was really cool. Well, guys, we wanna thank you all for coming out. Brother Sanford, I wanna thank you again for the verse of the day. That's a powerful verse that everyone needs to go study. I feel like uh, Exodus is a very powerful uh, book in the Bible. It's one of my favorites, and I feel like that's one of the best ones. Obviously, behind Acts, Acts is my favorite book in the Bible because of Acts 2.38. But, guys, that's all we have for today. I want to thank you all for coming out, Brother Sanford. I want to thank you for coming on here again. I know I've thanked you like a thousand times. But I want to thank you again for taking time out of your day, out of your busy schedule, and joining us and talking to the youth of today, and not just the youth, but also many other men and women who are just looking for answers. I want to thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, guys, that's all we have for today. We'll see you next time.